If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we're going to get one to you. Open it up, please, to John. We're at the end of John chapter 9. So that'd be a good place to pick up. As you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Scripture. We don't skip anything, uh, and we believe it's all equally as important, and that's part of the fun of it. Um, We pick it up, by the way, in verse 35 of chapter 9, because when we left off, there was a man who was blind, who, by the way, don't miss this, he was like no trouble. People didn't seem to have a problem with him when he was a a blind beggar. Uh, And yet, somehow Jesus heals him, uh, and then everything changes in his life. Uh, all of a sudden, now he's a threat. And strangely enough, he's a threat to the religious community. I find that a little strange, don't you? So, uh, let's pick it up in 935. Go ahead and get there. And it says this. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when, they, when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Well, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, and for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Verse 40 says, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see and therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, do you notice how there's no chapter break? That just helps us get there. You got there because of those chapter breaks. But just note that this is still the same conversation. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, for they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things in which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep, or door of the sheep. Well, whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your scripture. I want to thank you for how beautiful it is, how rich and personally meaningful it is, and how, Lord, you can speak to every one of us distinctly and bespoke to each of our needs, but also corporately as we as human beings. You tell us in regards to the challenges and the temptations that besettle us are those very things which are common to men. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, as a family, be drawn together and captivated in your word, drawn in, and that we would see you, Jesus, and you would color in the black and white, and we would just get it. So we, as a family, would be like, yeah, that's it, that's it, and let the penny drop. But also, you know that each of us, in our seasons of life, come with very different kind of dust upon the bottom of our shoes. There's very different memories and challenges and things and mountains that face each of us, uh, Lord, they may be common to man, but the details of that template that are put in, well, that data may be unique to us. And in that, Lord, speak into each of our lives, right where we're at. Pray that we would all be amazed at how personally relevant this text is to each of us. So, Lord, immerse me in your scripture, but first immerse me in your Holy Spirit that, that they would see you, that I would see you. And then, Lord, pray that you would come upon me, that you would... Do through me what I can't humanly do, that you would speak and redeem every second and make every word count. So, Lord, redeem this time now. Have your way, we pray. We commit every minute of this to you. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and may we have so much fun in your scripture now, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Don't just say, well, the guy's got a mic, so he must know what he's talking about. Search the scriptures. Challenge everything you hear from anyone to make sure it's new, that it's true according to scripture. Uh, And by the way, I find that the newer someone comes up with something, the more cautious I am. Uh, With that in mind, we read, by the way, that this man's been mentioned at least six times before we get to 35 and I want to point this out in verse 1, and if you're in your scriptures, look at 9.1. It tells us he was a man who was blind from birth. That's kind of how he was listed in the beginning of this. In verse 6, notice it says, the blind man. Jesus will heal him. And I imagine you're blind, so you hear Jesus 
speaking to his disciples who ask who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way. And Jesus says, neither. This is not a setback. This is a setup. This is actually not some form of failure. This is a platform for God to be glorified. So with that, he spits in the ground and here you are blind and you hear all of that and then it gets in your eyes and then he says, go and wash. That would be an easy task at that other than the fact you were blind. And I imagine he's helped by his disciples, by Jesus' disciples and he goes and he washes and he sees himself. The first thing you would see and he comes back healing, it comes back seeing, but as he comes back, Jesus is gone. So we read then in verse 13, and that causes a great deal of trouble with some of the people, primarily the religious leadership. Notice in verse 13, it says, him who was formerly was blind. In verse 17, though, it tells us again, 917, the blind man. Huh, interesting. I thought he was formerly blind. Now he's blind again. In verse 24, it says, the man who was blind. By verse 30, it tells us the man. So, let me kind of help us with this for a moment. Okay, ready? I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to leave you right where you're at, just so you know. So, ready? I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm, for five seconds, I'm going to have you look at something. I'm going to have you close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you questions to see if you actually can identify things in it. Ready? Okay, this isn't going to be very difficult. So, don't worry. This is one of those places where... Anyways. Okay, ready? On the count of... Uh, I'm going to point somewhere, and then I'm going to give you five seconds. Ready? And that right there. Take a look over there. Okay, now close your eyes. Now again, I'm staying right here. I'm not going near you. Here's my first question. The border around that particular framed area, what color was the border? Oh, some of you know. Okay, how about inside the border? What color was the background? Green, okay. And there was a picture of something there. What was the picture of? So most of you know it's a Gruffalo. That's kind of fun. That Gruffalo was painted on something that had a different background than that green. What was the background around the Gruffalo? Well, now notice that. Okay, now, can you see that? As I'm asking you these questions, are you sequestering that information on the back of your eyelids, if you will? Now open your eyes. Now, you didn't use your eyes as I asked those questions. You had it somewhere you were still able to see it. That's kind of a weird thought, isn't it? I mean, think about the fact that when you're sleeping, your eyes are closed, but you're seeing all kinds of stuff. And it isn't just stuff you've seen. Let's face it, sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you've actually walked into a situation and you go deja vu and you're like, actually... I think I dreamt this before this point. I don't know how weird that is. That's sort of like one of those X-Men things. But the reason I say that is, is that there's clearly a sight that you have with your eyes, but there's a sight you have beyond that. Because if it weren't for that, then the moment you close your eyes, you wouldn't be able to see anything ever. Now, the reason I say that is, is that Jesus is addressing this man, and let me just put it this way. We left off of the formerly blind man worshiping Jesus who was blind, and then he saw, and then he discovered he was blind, and then he saw. That's kind of how it worked. So let me say it this way, because it gets into our text with the guys, and then we move right into the issue of Jesus being the door. There was a man who was, a man who was born without eyes. And as a result of that, he had no ability to see as we would understand seeing in the natural sense. Let's just be honest. He had no ocular ability. With that, Jesus is going to heal that. And then we get the idea. Now, how would you imagine, if you will, talking to a person who has never seen and try to explain to them the color purple or rainbow? Or what a smile looks like. The difference in the temperance of a person's face when you go, oh, don't ask them a question right now. Or, ooh, that person needs a hug. You know, think about those things that we rely on in moments like that. Now, I'm not talking about a person who could see, has that as a frame of reference, and now you can refer to it. But a person who's never seen a color in their life. How do you explain those things to them? I, I, to be honest, I, I don't even know how I would be able to. Now, the reason I say that is, it is such a bizarre world. And imagine if every person were born without eyes, except for one person, except for Jaden. We're just going to put Jaden out on this one. And Jaden has the ability to try to tell the rest of us in this room that sight is capable, that he actually, by God's grace, could actually give you eyeballs that could work. And imagine how weird that would sound. We'd be like, oh, come on. Like, we can see things? Wait a minute, what does that mean? Purple? A rainbow? What in the world? Wouldn't that just sound weird to us? We'd be like, well, you don't understand. None of my friends see. None of the scientists see. I know a lot of really, really smart people out there. They don't see like you do. They don't have eyeballs like you think you have eyeballs. And imagine how they diss poor Jane. And I could say this. As a Christian, 
above and beyond pastor and all of those things. I'm just a Christian like you who's seeking to be, to be used. Consider the fact that we can give them two ideas here. On one side, we could think our ministry is to show them how stupid they are for not seeing, or we could give them a good reason to open their eyes. Sooner or later, you can imagine Jaden going, whoa, that's beautiful. And Bruno going, what, 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 what's, be- what's beautiful? What, what, what's, what's beautiful? You're like, wow, I mean, I wish you could see this. This is amazing. Well, I guess I, guess I could like, use like one eyeball. But you know how that, that happens. And the reason I say that is, is that what would that be like spiritually? I mean, think of the things that we experience in Christ from the moment we said yes to him. Now, I remember the first moment that I said yes to Jesus and how he opened my eyes. Now, understand, I was, kind of a, I was a stupid guy in a lot of stupid ways, and I did a lot of things that are really stupid. I think that's the word for the moment. And, and in that, I just remember it didn't look stupid. It seemed smart to me until I gave my life to Christ. I just remember sitting around a group of people, and they were doing the stupid things I was doing. And I looked at them and this is stupid. And it was, like, it was like a whole new world all of a sudden. I looked, and the things that I thought were fun aren't fun anymore. And I looked around, and I went, wow, this is so weird. Because a moment ago, this was cool, and now this isn't even cool. This is just dumb. How in the world is, how did I ever think this was cool? Now, the reason I say that is this man, by the way, oddly enough, is a miracle in the making. He is clearly a testimony that Jesus is a whole lot more than full of words. And the religious leadership that have their way of doing things, this is really mucking with that. And that's really shoving things outside of what they were comfortable with. So this guy, instead of them looking at the miracle, they're trying to find the methods. Wait a minute, how did he heal your eyes? Because this is a Sabbath. There's got to be him working in the way that he healed your eyes. He's spinning the ground. Oh, he made mud. Oh, and he, did he shape that mud? Did he do it? When he took it and he put it on my, oh, that's all work. Because spitting in the ground, if it's dirt, well, that's farming. And if you're scooping that up, well, that's digging. And if you're shaping it, that's like working pottery. Those are all work. Work, 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 work. And in all of that, he's like, he's breaking the Sabbath. Well, this guy can't be from God because look at how he doesn't fit in with the thing we said happens on Sundays or in their case, Saturdays. I mean, imagine how that is. I mean, they're, let's face it, there are certain places where you could kind of go into the situation and they'd be like, well, you can't be a Christian. Look at the color of your hair. Look at the way you dress. Look at the fact you're not wearing a tie or you are wearing a tie. Do you have any Christian tattoos? Well, then you're probably not saved. I mean, it's amazing how different environments have their own little things. You wear makeup? Oh, my goodness. And do you know how many times I've been approached by people that go, is it a sin to wear makeup? And I, and I almost always say, Bruno, no. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, bro. Uh, you know, I just remember somebody telling me there was a it was an old Baptist preacher, and he was you know I was like, well, I kind of had that kind of talk about him. Now I don't know, maybe you can get away with stuff like that. But she went up to him after a message he had said, and she goes, "Sir, is it really a a sin to wear makeup?" And he looked at her and he said, "Ma'am, for you it is no sin. <laughs> don't expect that from me." Anyways, here's the point of it. All the way back in the book of Isaiah, yeah, you're gonna think of, oh man. Praise God for our pastor. All right. Isaiah 61, 700 years before this, Jesus had, oh, I'm sorry, God had promised through Isaiah that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon God's Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, that he would actually preach the gospel to the poor, that he would be sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind. That was actually part of it. Interesting, Jesus knew that because he actually finds that verse and quotes it in his own synagogue in Nazareth in Luke 4.18. So he's clear that he knows what's going on there. When John the Baptist sends people to, to check on Jesus and go, are you really the guy we're looking for? Because I, I kind of had a different idea about how this was going to play out. Jesus actually then tells him, he goes, look, at tell them, and this is Matthew 11.5, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look, at, and forgive me for going fast, I just don't want to lose you. I realize some of you are raised on YouTube now, and I'm talking slow for some of you. Anyways, don't miss this. Like, he's like, these are miracles. The blind see. That's really weird. The lame walk. Don't see that every day. Lepers are cleansed. Wow. Deaf here. Whoa. Dead raised up. Now that's massive. And the, de- and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's on the same level of miracle with the rest. I think it's a little weird to me. Imagine it's like, whoa, I couldn't walk, and now I walk. That's amazing. And the guy's like, I'm poor, and somebody shared Jesus with me. That shouldn't be weird. Now, please hear me in that. We recognize that from a very natural perspective. A guy couldn't see, 
Now we can see and we go, ah, oh, that's really awesome. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and again, don't just believe me, check it on your own. It tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of people who do not believe. Blinded the mind. Not just blinded the eye. It isn't like, you know, like, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. And then the next thing you know, you're like wearing dark glasses glasses and walking around with a cane. He's like, that part of you, when you close your eyes, you can't see Jesus for who he really is. So, a matter of fact, he uses the reference of putting a veil in front of you. And he says, look at spiritually, there is a sight too. There is something in the way that you can look and see. And you can, I mean, it is amazing to me. I can stand at the Grand Canyon and look and go, this is such clear evidence of the flood. And someone else would go, no, actually, it's just the clear evidence of water. Like they'll say, a little bit of water, a whole lot of time. And I'll be like, a whole lot of water? Not so much time. And it is amazing we can look at the same thing and not see it the same. We can look at somebody that is crazy nuts out there in Camden, which, let's face it, is relatively normal. And somehow in all of that, we can look and go, that's somebody that needs Jesus. Another person goes, that person just needs to die. And it is amazing how we can see things differently. And when you start talking to someone, oh, please hear me on this. When I talk about Jesus being the Savior, and that to me is the door, the threshold to the fact that what he really needs to be is Lord of your life. Man, if you just think Jesus is a get-out-of-a-hell-free card, you actually missed the whole point. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could go to heaven. He died on the cross to be with you. Heaven's the product of that. It isn't like I married my wife 20, almost 28 years ago so that she could live in my house. I'm married because I want to be with her. That hasn't changed, honey. And I still want you in the house, so that's good. Yeah. And yet it's strange we get caught up in this idea. The problem is we live in a culture, let's just be honest, where we all make up our ideas about what's right and wrong. And if we all make up our ideas about what's right or wrong, who needs a savior? Let's just be honest. And people are like, well, I just believe that, like, you know, right's kind of whatever you want it to be. I'm like, okay, well, let me just ask you, is it ever right to rape? Because I can't seem to find any illustrations. I'm not going to look that hard, but let's just be honest. The reason I say that is there are, you don't want people stealing from you. You could say, well, stealing's okay under certain circumstances, but it's never okay when it happens to you. And the reason I say that is, man, if we want to make this all up, no wonder why the enemy works so hard on that. And then I'm like, you need to be saved. You're like, from what? From the guilt of your sin and shame. And they're like, what? I don't feel ashamed about anything. It's all about self-esteem. Now, isn't it weird how that works? And it's like, man, it's like no one's so blind is someone who won't see. And so there's that person, and they're playing around there on the motorway, and they are completely unaware of the fact it's the motorway, and they're about to get clubbed by the next thing that has brakes that aren't so quick. I mean, we're playing on the tracks knowing that third rail is getting close. So the man was blind physically. He brought him sight so he could see physically. And then they ask him, so who is, is, Jesus, is this poor man is like in front of the Inquisition over it. And they're like, so how did he do it? And he's like, well, I already told you that. Well, who do, who do you think is? I don't know. I think he's a prophet. God's like, well, there he is. Now let's talk about the other blindness. Because this is a blindness where he really just doesn't know who Jesus is yet. So this man was born blind and then he was given sight. And then he discovered he was blind and given sight a second time, but the better way. Though the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who won't believe, it tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It's like we were all in the dark. We were born spiritually blind. But he's called us out of that. So we could proclaim to others how beautiful this. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5.8, Paul goes as far as saying, you were once darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. So Jesus says in verse 39, back in our text, for judgment, I've come into this world. And in, in the simplest sense, for the very damning evidence, if you will. I mean, you know, it's, they think that Hugo actually stabbed someone. He's like, no, I, didn't. I did not do it. And then they look and they find the blood and the DNA of him on there and all that. Well, it's obviously very damning evidence, by the way. I don't think he did it either. But the reason I say that is, is that that's what Jesus is saying here. The word krima. I'm the very, if you will, I'm the very proof of whether or not you really have trust in God or not. For this reason, so that those who see may be made blind. 
Oh, those who may think they see in all of their, their... And it's amazing how there are people out there that are theologians who have never met God. They can argue over very dusty books. And they can have all this information, but they don't know relationship. But we get that. If you've ever been a fan of anyone, be it musical or athletic or whatever, it's a pretty, good, a pretty likely thing that you probably know an awful lot about them. But if you don't know them, you're still a fan. But there's a difference between a fan and a friend. And let me just say, I have no interest in being a fan of Christ more than I am to be a friend and a follower. And he looks at them and he goes, man, you guys, you have all this information in front of you. This is the stuff that should actually lead you when you don't even realize you're blind and I'm here to declare it. You guys are so blind. When Isaiah, again, speaks in Isaiah 29.10, he speaks about the prophets and the, the, the words of the prophets being very much light. David, when he writes Psalm 119, remember he says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's like, man, you have the light in front of you and yet you can't put it in your eyes, right? I get this. Because John had already said back in John chapter 3 that this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who is practicing evil hates the light. They won't come into the light because then their deeds would be exposed. In other words, hey, you know, when you want to do something wrong, the last thing you want is a light shining on you. And I get the idea here that Jesus is the ultimate table turner. Now notice, by the way, that the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and they said, oh, are we blind also? Jesus' response was, well, if you actually didn't see this stuff in the first case, you wouldn't be responsible for it. But because you say you see, your sin remains. The problem is, and I know this, look at, if you ever come in for counseling, I want to warn you, uh, chances are God's recording the whole thing. Uh, not for you, to be honest, for me, because often the counsel that I give is the very thing that God has to play later on and go, Tony, you remember when you said this? And I get this. John fifteen twenty two. by the way, take a look at it for yourself. Jesus speaks of the very same thing. And in Romans 2, Paul speaks. He goes, you know, you guys out there who judge and you condemn everyone else, well, you condemn yourself because the very issues you condemn others with, you practice the same thing. He goes, man, you're running around telling someone something's wrong, and yet in the whole time, you're doing the same thing. Don't you realize? You've already set up your own execution as a result of this. There's our problem. You know, as a person that tells you, look at you need to be tolerant to everyone. I hate what you do because you're intolerant. I'm like, well, if you hate me, you're not tolerant to everyone because you hate me. You didn't figure that part out, right? And to get the idea here, why then James tells us in James 3.1, you should be really careful to call yourself a teacher. Because you do know that you'll be given a stricter judgment. I recognize that, and I take that very seriously. Because you'd be like, well, pastor, didn't you say that? You said that before, didn't you? And look at We can all agree. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And if it's wrong, we all stand before God and go, what are we going to do about it? So don't miss this, because Jesus is looking at a group of religious leaders, and as they're going, well, what, are we blind to? You know, was that what you're, what you're saying? And Jesus goes, you know, if you actually were willing to say you were ignorant of this, instead of pretending like you knew everything, you really wouldn't be guilty of it. But the fact is, you've proclaimed these things, you've grabbed the rock to throw at someone else, well, that rock's going to be used on you. You know that. And he goes, let me tell you where the fundament of all of this is. The whole fundament of it is this. There is a sheepfold, and that sheepfold has one door. And no matter how blind or not you are, no matter how much information you have, if you don't know where that door is, you're not getting in. That's the bottom line. You could study every brick or every piece of shrub that surrounds the thing. If you don't know the door, you're not getting in, at least appropriately. Now, please hear me in this. The world doesn't mean more discipled unbelievers. Brilliant people, full of information, but hate God. We start with this. That between me and God is this horrible wall, and that wall is my sin and guilt. Now, no matter what you want to think about it, the bottom line is it's there whether I like it or not. The same way that gravity's there whether I like it. I don't believe in gravity. That gravity people have been saying gravity for a long time since that apple fell on Newton's head. You know, like the gravity, dumb gravity, gravity. We're a new generation. We're, we are a gravity-less generation, right? And then that thing comes like, well, go ahead and jump off that building there, old Mr. Birdman, and see what happened for yourself. 
I don't believe in gravity. Well, you're going to learn. And the reason I say that is I don't believe that thing's outdated. God's been saying sin for so long. Yeah, you know why? Because the problem's been there since the first human beings and it hasn't changed. The good news is he's had a cure from the beginning before the foundation of the world. He's already worked that out. I mean, wouldn't it be sad if we had a whole new problem right now? Then God would have to scramble for a whole new answer. But because the problem is universal from the beginning, the answer could be universal from the beginning. Well, you're playing that same old string. Yeah, but guess what? There's the same old cure to that same old string, and that's Jesus. It's always been there. He's always been there, and it's still there. There's the good news. So listen, let's play this thing out. In this room, there are three doors. I think you can figure that out at this point. There's a door you went through. As a matter of fact, if you look, it actually says door on it. I, I didn't put that there. That's been there because it's a nursery most of the week. So I'm just kind of helping you out. Door. There's an, there, there are exits. If, if there's a fire, there will, you can go to the, the exits that are nearest to you. Some might be beside you. Uh, the, by the way, if you're going to go out that one, you just may actually make it out. You get the count of three. It says it right there. But this one actually just goes out to the garden. They look the same. There's still doors. The reason I said that is you're actually not getting out of the street without a whole lot of work over here. But there was a door and you were comfortable to go through it and you went through it. Maybe some of you are unaware of it, but a few years ago, somebody else tried to use a different means to get in this room. They used that window. As a matter of fact, they used it twice. And they ultimately bashed through the window. And as they bashed through the window, they came through. But let's be honest, the moment I tell you that, do you actually assume they came in to go to church? They're like, mm, I'm going to be late. I've got to get in quick. Can't go all the way around the building to the door. Well, obviously, if they come in in another way, there's, there's malintent. Ultimately, they ran off with ten grand worth of our tour gear. That should tell you something. I mean, it happened in two different events. So, And there's, there's a whole beautiful story behind the redemption of, uh, of all of that. But I just want to say, for the illustration, it just makes sense. Now, let's put us in this situation. Let's get a little bit of an understanding. First of all, how many of you out there really genuinely think that sheep are dumb? Now, you're kind of afraid, right? How many, have any of you actually ever herded sheep, shepherded sheep, shepherdessed sheep, or any of that? Come on now, look at we're in England. We know sheep are smart. Can I just say use a name, Sean? Does that make any sense? Come on, they're smart. The, the farmer's dumb, but Sean, you got to go. Now, Timmy, I'm not sure about, but anyway, the reason I say that is sheep are actually brilliant in an awful lot of ways. Well, first of all, it's important to note they have no offensive weapon. You're probably aware of that. They're basically big cotton balls with a little bit of attitude. They can headbutt you. That's basically what they try to do. The problem is they've got all this cushion on there. It's like a giant afro. Someone trying to run into you, you're like, whoa, stop. That really changed the air between us. And the reason I say that is they're really not dangerous animals, so they're relatively helpless. But they are smart. And we learn a couple things about it, but one of the first things is God put within their DNA the ability to recognize, not by sight, though, but by hearing. I think that's a little different. Now, let me say this. I'll ask you, if you are unable to see, what guides you? Yeah, two things. Everything you hear, what's the other one? Your sense of feeling. Let's be honest. If it's pitch black and you hear a noise or you've got to go to the restroom or whatever, chances are you're going to be using those two things. First, the hearing, because you really want to make sure nobody else is in the house, or at least in your way. And then the sense of feeling, because you want to know where the steps are. That's kind of important, or you're going to go to the bathroom on the way down, and that's not good for anyone. Now, at least in our house, because we have steps there. Now, the reason I say that is, is that when a person is spiritually blind, well, what do you think leads them? Well, what, everything they hear and their sense of feeling. I think that makes perfect sense. Now, back in our situation here, these sheep. Okay, so get this. The sheep God encodes inside their head the ability to recognize voices. And it is so intrinsic that you can rely on it. Case in point, a couple of years ago, since we've been here, we've done one or two Israel trips. We've done one, right? I think I've gone on two, but we've done one. Uh, the, I don't know if it was the first trip. Was it the trip with us? Right, well, we were actually in Bethlehem. And we were in Bethlehem. Oh, cool, thanks. You can ask Bruno. There's this kid, and he's coming, and he's in, you know, he's, he's in his early teens, Rough to say about, well, it's hard to tell, but let's just say that. And he's there with a bunch of sheep. 
And as we're there, we're there, we begin to teach. And as we begin to teach, the sheep do something strange. They actually come and kind of start hanging out with us. And that seemed like a really strange thing, especially as I'm trying to teach about sheep and their ability to hear and all that. And so finally, I kind of get the kids like, you look familiar. And I'm like, huh. No, it's never good for a pastor to say, you don't look familiar. right? So I'm like, oh, hey, bro, what's up? And he's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Have you been here before? Yeah, a few times. Well, okay, well, wait a minute. Do you know my dad? And he showed me a picture. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know your dad. And I realized that his dad, who's the chief, shepherd of their family had been walking those same sheep when they were just tiny and little the last time we were there. And those little sheep hadn't heard my voice since. But as he comes over, we start to speak, they feel comfortable because I have a relationship with his kid's dad. Enough to be able to be like, oh, hey, how is it going to be? It's really cool to see you. In other words, there was enough friendliness that the, that the sheep were like, oh, well, this guy's no threat. Okay, I guess he's okay. And I just think that was a really cool moment for us. We just kind of look and we're like, well, I don't think I could teach the text better than what we've just seen. That was pretty awesome. You know? And the whole point of it is God did that. So let's just say at this moment, Tunde has a group of sheep. No, you know, Shemar's got a group of sheep. They're the Shemar sheep, right? There's the Tunde sheep. And, uh, you know, and of course, they're all going to compete over which sheep are cooler and that kind of thing. And you can put some bling in and that kind of thing. You just kind of make it, you know, check out my sheep, man. So, you know, it's like one's got stumpy legs. That's my low-riding sheep. It's cool. You know, and they kind of go. But the thing is, is, if they're going to head into a city, for instance, they can't bring the sheep into the city. That would be nonsense. First of all, sheep don't. The only thing that sheep do in a city or get eaten. So that's probably not a cool thing. So they go and they head to the outskirts of the city, and there is a sheep pen or a sheep gate. We know that. Remember back in chapter 5 when Jesus healed a man that was at the pool of Bethesda. That was a hard word. Bethesda. Bethesda. And that man was at the sheep gate. We're kind of by the sheep gate waiting to die like a lot of the sheep that could be there. So let's just say that Tunde's got 10. Let's say the Shemar's got 10. That way, when you know, I'm not playing favorites. And... And, you know, when they, come, when they come to the city, what happens is Tunde brings his sheep into the, the sheep gate. You know, Shamar brings his sheep into the sheep gate. They're all hanging out with each other. And they're kind of like, what's up? What's up, sheep? What's up? And that's it. You know, they, kinda, they can kind of, and they'll butt heads with each other. They'll kind of play around because if there's no definitive leader there, they'll alpha. Sheep can do that. And they kind of go and do their business. Now, most sheep gates, by the way, as much as we like to play it, aren't usually bricked in. They're usually grown with this big kind of nasty, gnarly, pointy shrub material. The kind of stuff that grows over two meters high, and it comes with these thorns that stick out that are roughly a hand. I mean, they're, they're as long as your pinky is, get, is the idea. So, somewhere down the line, Tunde is not going to be threatened. He kind of feels like the sheep are safe. There's only one gate ever on a sheep gate, on, on a, this kind of sheepfold, for a reason. Because you don't want them coming in one side and the other side going, oh, I didn't realize they were leaving. You all know. You know where to go and drop them off. And the sheep are familiar with that moment and that spot, so they want to come back to that same spot to call them. That's kind of the idea. Now, imagine, if you will, there's that. Let's imagine if this were a big sheep enclosure for a moment, and there was one door and it's right there. As the door is there, they kind of drop them off. Surrounding us on all sides now is this shrub that's roughly two meters high. And it's all thorny and nasty and gnarly. Y'all following me? Let's just see. Somewhere in all of that, Dennis comes around and he says, I'm sorry, Sonny, I've been promising you a good lamb meal. And I really don't. I know where I'll get one. Now, if Dennis comes to the, do- to the door, he knows no matter what he tries to say, he's like, how do I speak like Tunde? How do I speak like Shamar? I'll just say, hi, uh, uh, sup. I mean, he's trying all those things. The sheep are like, whatever, who are you? And they'll actually retract to the back wall. Now, there's always a guy keeping the door, if you will, kind of like a bouncer, if you will. So a real a bouncer that's worth his salt looks, and if he starts to see the sheep backing off, and he sees all of the sheep backing off, he knows that guy's a threat. Does that make sense? So Dennis isn't going to be able to woo them over to the door. He's like, Psh, Little sheepy, I've got, uh, what, some oats? You know, they're like, I don't want your oats. So he realizes he's going to have to go another way. 
So he starts kind of looking for a clearing in the hedges, and he's peeking around the corners. And imagine he's peeking in the windows as he kind of, as he kind of comes around. And as he starts to come around, sooner or later, he kind of goes and goes, well, this is probably the clearest spot. Now, he's just looking for a spot to be able to get his arms through. Now, he might try to get over it, but how is he going to get over it? He's going to have to take his cloak and throw it on top of it so he doesn't get poked to death on the way over. And as he does, he's going to grab the sheep and he's going to do one of two things. He's either going to try to pull it through the hedge. You can imagine what happens to the sheep in that case. Or he's going to have to chuck the thing over the wall. Now, you're probably aware of the fact sheep are not cats. They don't land on their feet the same way. But let's face it, for Dennis's purposes, feeding Fanny, at a moment like this, you're probably aware of the fact that it really doesn't matter how banged up the thing, oh, it's just going to tenderize it anyway. So Dennis, being kind of a big guy, goes, come here. He just takes the thing, he's like, nah, whoa, and he just sort of, Dennis catapults the thing over it. Pops his way over to the other side, and he's like, honey, I've got fresh lamb right here. Now, the reason I say that is Every person that was a shepherd in those days understood that idea because it was a common one. And yet, here was the situation. If the guy that's keeping the door is not doing his job, well, then that kind of thing can happen. But let's face it, if a guy's keeping the door, that just can't happen. The guy's not going to make his way in. Now, could anything else try to go to the door other than people for those sheep? You tell me. Would the what else, would, what, else, what else do you think could show up or would want to show up there? Wolves. Don't miss that. Wolves could also show up there. Now, of course, they're not as smart. They're not, you know. But we do talk, Jesus does warn us about them in sheep's clothing. Consider that. So the problem is, Tunde shows up. Now, understand, when a shepherd actually knows his sheep and he names them by name, it isn't like he just kind of goes, well, all right, all you, you know, big white ones over here and all you tiny little scrawny ones over here. He's like, he's got a, a name for every one of them. And as that's the case, he kind of looks and he just, to be honest, shepherds only have to make a noise. He's like, or, or whatever it is, you know, you know hey. and that's it. And the sheep are like, oh, I think I just heard two names. So, and 10 sheep step forward. Shamar's sheep aren't going to step forward. But those sheep will. He's like, come on out now. They're not going to leave that, that fold until they know they're safe. And they don't know they're safe until they know their shepherd. Does that make sense? Now hear me on this. These religious leaders are going, what, are we blind too? And he goes, let me tell you what a real shepherd looks like and how this really plays out. Because you can't even see the most basic point of this. He goes, look at First one, I say to you, whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door, climbs up another way, that guy is a thief and a robber. Why both words? A thief and a robber? Interesting, both words are used in other places. The word thief, a common word, kleptos, a person that can't stop stealing, what are they called? Kleptomaniac, that's where we get the word from. So, the idea of it, there is a thief. A robber, on the other word, is the word listis, uh, not, a, not a commonly word used common word used uh, as far as and in English. But consider this. Judas was called a thief, a klepto. Barabbas was called a robber. So then I did a little bit of looking, just by its inference. When Judas betrayed Jesus for money, did he do it openly or privately? Well, as far as Jesus is concerned, he did it privately. He didn't do it in front of the disciples. He didn't do it in front of Jesus. It was sneaky and low down. Can we agree on that? But then when I look at Barabbas, in Mark fifteen seventeen, we read that he committed murder in an outward, open display of rebellion. In John eighteen forty is where he's actually called a robber and a murderer. Again, according to Mark, he was somebody who did it openly. So someone's going to break, no, this is not prophecy, but someone breaks in your house and they're trying to make their way in. They don't want to get caught. They're a thief. Uh, a couple of days ago, there's a couple of guys kind of having, quote unquote, fun outside. And they bash through the window of my next door neighbor, our door, their door. Now, my first thought is, did they try to get in or was this just sort of an act of vandalism? Well, we within a small period of time, we were there with cardboard some tape. It's raining outside. And you're like, this is the best day for this to happen. Right? And, the, and so bashed in, there's a light on, but I knew that the couple that actually were sort of the people that just, you know, were in the house 
we're gone. So I kind of go, I've got my cardboard in my hand, and I've got some tape, and I reach in, and I open up the door, because I'm going to tape up the door for him. And as I open up the door, and the door opens, there is this young guy, and he comes, and he's got a board in his hand, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, the son was there. I, didn't, I didn't, know, didn't even know that she had a son. Well, she does, and he has a board in his hand. Anyways, I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to tape up your door, bro. Just tape it, you know, just go. And, and the only reason I say that is, it's like, when a thief tries to do it, he's trying to do it without you knowing. But a robber, he'll come up, come at you with a knife or a gun or something and go, yo, give me your stuff. There's a big difference. And what he tells us is, look at, I want to warn you, when it comes to, let's be honest, church is a place you're supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be a place where you don't expect wolves to make their way in. And there are going to be those who are going to sneak in, and there are going to be those who are just going to brazenly pop in. But give me an example. Quickly, and again, because I want to make sure we get to this. Galatians 2.4, Paul speaks about those who secretly were brought in to spy out the liberty. 2 Timothy 3.6, that those men, they creep into households, making captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led by various lusts. 2 Peter 2.1, it tells us that there were false prophets then, there are false teachers now who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. In Jude verse 4, because it's only one chapter, it tells us that certain men will creep in or have crept in unnoticed. That, well, there is your thief. They kind of pop in, they want the sheep. Now, they're going to try to do it as quietly and as privately as they can, but they're in to get it. Now, let's face it, they come in to take. That's the point. Then there's some that are brazen. Paul, when he sat with the, with the elders of, of Ephesus in Miletus, he said in, in Acts 20, 29, he says, I want to warn you that savage wolves will come in after my departure, not sparing the flock. Now, when a wolf pops in under those circumstances, he's not trying to hide anything. Now, the reason I say that is, it's clear that they're going to be both, but Jesus says there's only one door, and if they come in through the right way, they're going to be okay, but if they don't come in through that door, you've got to be careful on it. Now, let me play this out in reality more than just in church for a second. Every relationship you get in is going to be that way. Every relationship you get in that's going to be outside of Jesus, I just want to warn you and prove me wrong, is going to be about taking. Someone's going to come in with an appetite. And let's face it, when you come in through the door, it's a shepherd and he's led by love. But if you come in any other way, you're led by appetite. Now, that appetite could be a lot of things. It could be, I'm lonely, make me less lonely. I'm empty, fill me up. I'm physically driven and you look really cute. You know, or I'm just, I, I have a problem with my self-esteem, make me feel important. But sooner or later, you're meeting somebody and they've got a straw in their hand and you can't even see it. They're like, hi, nice to meet you. Can I suck from you until I get what I need? And he goes, I want to warn you, that is not only unsafe, it's destructive. It is somebody coming to take. Is that the kind of relationships you want? But the problem is, we could do it too. And then there are those that want to come through Jesus, and the idea is, man, when I realize that Jesus fills everything, every need within my own heart and soul, I just want to care. I used to say, you know, you're, I would say that you... you're raised with the whole concept. You just want to be loved. And then you realize how loved you are in Jesus. And now you just want to love others. Because that part has been met. So hear me in this. And we'll go through the rest of this relatively quickly. There's only one legitimate way to the sheep. And it's through Jesus. He says, verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Doorkeeper hears him. He opens up, hears his voice. He calls his sheep by name. And he leads them out. So, well, wait a minute. Well, what about that wolf that kind of tries to sneak in? How can I tell the difference? Well, I can tell you how you can tell the difference. It tells me here. First of all, how do they try to enter? And then second, who do they really listen to? Are they really willing to listen to the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name and leads them out? You know, back in San Luis Obispo, where we were at the time, there was a big promotion at a certain time for one of the certain churches in our area that was kind of one of the hip way cool church kind of thing. And I just remember they had this booth at the farmer's market and they were like really proactive and trying to get guys in. And a person comes up to me from this. They are unaware of who I am. And they're like, dude, you need to come to this church. The hottest girls go here. And I'm like, that's your tagline? Exactly. What do you think is going to show up in your church if this is what you're advertising? And the bottom line is either it's going to be Jesus 
or it's going to be something else. Let's face it, some stuff, look at, don't expect, look at, regardless of what you think of yourself or what you think I might think of you in regards to cute or not, the bottom line is I'm not advertising that to other people because I don't want that to be bringing people in. If that's the bait you've got to use to pull someone in, you better not run out of it. So hear me on this for a second. There are different things that we can have and make church. And they could be good, but they're in the pen, but they're not the door. Hear me again. They could be in the pen, but they ain't the door. For instance, let me give you an idea. Spiritual experience. The me blessing. I like my Christianity. Shaken and stirred. Give me the Camden blessing and give me some deified dental work. You know, and all of that. It's like, if that's what's going to bring you in, that's it. But it ain't Jesus. Is that really what you want? Or a doctrinal bend? What would Calvin do? Only people who talk without understanding what they're saying are saved. Wait a minute. Really? That's what's going to draw you in? The personally prophetic? Wake up and smell the Prophecy Digest? Watch my Tower of Prophecy magazine? Is that what you really want? In the end of it all, you get latched onto something that isn't even Jesus. How about social justice campaigns? What would Mother Teresa do? Don't pray. Protest. Well, I know. Why look at your own sin when we can blog about Trump and Brexit? But in the end of it all, you could go to hell and have blogged brilliant things about both. Is that really what you want? Is that what you want church to be? So smart and yet apologetic, the Tolkien Road, blogs over Bibles, I'm not into it. Tatted in androgynous worship, we are the ink and laser Christianity. Really? Can I just say this? Real worship is a beautiful thing. But man, I'll be honest, if that's all you come to church for, you're really missing the point. Self-help with scripture added for extra country favor, a better me. Or more like Jesus. Look at experience, doctrine, prophecy, social action, intelligence, worship, personal growth. They're awesome, but they're in the pen. They're not the door to it. They're the benefits. They're the many package. But they're not the door. Because if that's the door, the moment you think that that's all you're going to get doesn't happen, well, then you're gone. And I want to go out into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only name by which men must be saved. There's no other name. But then be careful of those who are trying to convert the saved. So look at the good shepherd when he shows up, he comes to his sheep, he goes before them. Don't miss that. He doesn't just tell them what to do. He leads them. And can I just dare say, you can't lead anyone if you ain't going anywhere. Let's just be honest. A leader goes somewhere and invites you to follow. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. So they will not follow a stranger. They know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll flee from him. They don't know the voice of stranger. Look at, of a stranger, look at, there are two men at the pen, the shepherd and the thief. There are two voices, the shepherd and the thief, and there are two responses, to follow the familiar or to flee the foreigner. I highly recommend you be careful with that. And that's why I tell you, don't just believe me. Again, in the end of it all, if you don't know who I am, but you know Jesus, I've done my job. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus taught us even about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't glorify himself, but he will glorify me. Don't believe me? John 14 through 16. Read it yourself. Jesus used this illustration. Guess what? They didn't get it. So he goes, okay, can I just help you out here? That whole door thing, that's me. That's what Jesus says. Look, it's not the church. It's not good works. Jesus is the only door in. Now, consider this. He is the only door for some sheep to go in and get safe. And that's something. But it's also, he's the only door for a shepherd to be able to go through to take care of the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers. Same words. But the sheep did not hear them. You go, well, wait a minute. What about all those people before Jesus? Listen, they died in faith. Hebrews 11.13 makes that clear. So Jesus, the crusher of the serpent's head in Genesis 3, with the first human beings. Don't miss that. The lamb that God would be providing. Genesis 22, the Passover, the free, the slaves under bondage. Exodus 12, the sin sacrifice. Leviticus 4. Leviticus 4, the symbol of man's sin, Numbers 21, the prophet that would come, the delivering prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18, the one who stopped the flow of judgment at a man, Joshua 3.16, for what it's worth, uh, judges, the one who was raised up to be our deliverer, Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, Samuel's kings and chronicles, the lion of the king of Judah, I'm sorry, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Ezra, the rebuilder of God's people, Nehemiah, the overcomer of God's enemies, Esther, the interceder savior, for the people. And understand, God has always been pointing to Jesus, and therefore Hebrews 11:13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen it afar off, they were assured of him, embraced and confessed, 
Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So Jesus says in our last verse, I'm not a door. I'm the door. And if anyone enters by me, he's going to be saved. There are a lot of people playing like they're doors. They're not doors at all. Not to the safe pen. To the slaughterhouse, yes. Come this way. I'm a door. But you don't want to go there. You know, go in and out and find pasture. Please hear me on this as we close this up. If you tell people Jesus is the only way, are you going to offend them? Sure. Especially if they don't think they have a a need to be saved at all. If you're a doctor and somebody has cancer, are you going to offend them to tell them they have cancer? Well, likely so. You're probably going to ruin their day. But what if you had the cure? You're still going to bother them the moment you tell them they have cancer. Here's the difference. If you genuinely believe that I had the ability to properly diagnose and I told you you had cancer, and then I told you I had a cure, would you really have the audacity to say, I don't like that cure. Can you give me another? If you realized the peril you were in, you would be thankful there was any cure at all. And people go, do you really think you have the right to say that Jesus is the only way? Well, I can tell you this. I can't preach the Jesus of the Bible and preach anything else because he was the one who told me that. But consider this. When Jesus is in the garden and he is praying before the Father, and he's saying, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from before me. But not my will of yours be done. And three different times he begs the Father on this. We're in a crisis here because Jesus is praying to the Father we call God, our Father. And he's saying, Dad, please, please don't send me to the cross unless there's no other way. And the Father sends him. So either that Father is horribly wicked and some joke to let Jesus die on the cross anyways, even though he was begged by his Son, or there really isn't another way. Can I really, in all honesty, stand before God and say, you know what, I know Jesus begged you and I know you said there was no other way, but I, you know, I can stare in the face of your son who was beaten and bloodied to pay for my sins, but I'd like some other choice. Can we, what else you got? Do we really do that? Because we're afraid someone will be offended? Have we ever been concerned that God would be offended? Because if I were God the Father, and you could be thankful I'm not, and you were pulling that kind of trick on someone else, I would be much more offended to think, I let my son get tortured to death to buy you when you're going to play it off like it's a buffet? Now hear me on this. Nobody else has offered to pay your bill. Nobody else has offered to stand in your stead, and nobody else is qualified to do so. So, and you know, it's kind of like in every other case, you have to pay the bill. And in this case, God did. And you're like, do you really believe Jesus is the only way? Well, there is another way. You can go to hell and you can make that choice and pay the bill yourself. Or you can accept the fact God paid it for you. But for your sin and my sin to be paid for, it had to be punished. And for it to be punished, it needed to be punished appropriately. And thus, it hung on the shoulders of the Son of God who hung on a cross to pay for it. That's how serious and in love with you he is. Because he'd rather die than live without you. And when he paid that price, the bill was paid. And I know that because on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when a high priest goes in to offer that a sacrifice once a year, we know it was accepted because he comes out alive again. And in that same way, Jesus took my payment and your payment to the cross and he buried it in the tomb. And I know that the check cleared because he came out alive again. When he came out alive again, he's like, look, I have a whole new life for you. Nobody else is offering me that. And say, I'd rather do it myself. Well, you can do it yourself, but it isn't going to pay the whole bill without actually being punished. Or would you rather accept the gift of Jesus? As we go to prayer, I just want to ask you, where are you at with this Jesus? Would God give you the courage to be able to tell people, you know what, I'm actually this serious about it, because if he really is the only way, I don't really want you playing roulette here with eternity. 
want you to be serious about this because I love you and I care. And I really don't want you to think somehow in some great pride you can choose something else and God's going to go, well, at least you meant well. When his own son was bloody to death to pay for your price. Jesus looks and he goes, look at We're all sheep, whether we like it or not, and you're going to wind up in someone's pen. On this side, you know it's someone that cared for you because he's already paid your price. You know it's someone who's already experienced all that grief and he knows and he actually came to walk in your shoes so he knows what you go through. So that's one option. Who else has proven that? Some guy that went hung out somewhere in the, in the woods of India or in somewhere in all of that. He hung out with a group of people and he never knew your name. And he never calls you by name, but somehow if you take the long boat or short boat, you could be nicer and not suffer as much. That's the route you want to take? Some guy that says we should just conquer all the land and force everyone else into subjugation, and if they want to live, they better pay us a tax. That's what you want? Some guy that basically says if you can kneel long enough and maybe after you get reincarnated another 60 or 70 more times, you won't become a rat and you'll become a nicer person. That's what you want to bank on? None of them call you by name. None of them know you by name. And none of them make that claim to. I've read all of those books and I can tell you none of them make that claim. And then there's a God who says, I created you to be with me and I call you by name. And if you're willing to, I'm going to actually cover you and make you safe and provide and love you. How in the world does that sound like a a hard choice? So as we go to prayer, I just want to encourage you and myself today to realize how loved you are and the option to be loved like that. And in that, to celebrate the one door that matters. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for this beautiful text. I want to thank you, Lord, for the fact that today here in this room, you want us to see that we can actually still go out there and act like a wolf and still just try to make other people meet needs that you and only you alone can actually meet. And Lord, we recognize we've seen all kinds of religion, politics and traditions that really weren't about you, Jesus. They weren't about that sacrifice. They weren't about the payment you paid. And we recognize now, Lord, as you start to open our eyes and remove that blindness, but that's not something you endorse either. But rather, you are calling with arms open wide to embrace every one of us and cleanse us and purify us. We can try to deny it or we could just come clean and literally come clean. That's the choice you give us. You give us the dignity to make that choice. And I just pray today for every one of us that you would open up those eyes. Not just our physical eyes, but the ones that show our need for a Savior. And in that today, right now, we would say, yes, Jesus, if you've really paid my bill, why in the world would I want to pay it? And Jesus, when you died on the cross, just like Scripture was promised, had promised you would, I was on your mind. When you were buried, so was my guilty verdict. But when you came out alive again, you left it there. And you offered to be the Lord and Savior of my life, and I'd be a fool to say no. I want to live in your pen. I want to be in that place where I can be safe and cared for. I want to hear your voice and follow you. So here in this room, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you know, and only you, whether you've actually really ever said yes to Jesus or just kind of went shopping and to see your options. But today, if you really want to say yes to this Jesus, you pray this prayer with me right now. God, I don't have to lie about my guilt or pretend I'm someone I'm not. You know everything about me and you want me anyways. But between me and you is this wall. This wall of guilt. And yet, 
You so love me. You provided a door. And that door is your son, Jesus. Who didn't just carve a hole in the wall. He took the whole thing down by paying for it himself on his own shoulders. And when he was whipped and beaten and hung on that cross, he was paying for me. And just like your scripture promised, he was buried and on the third day he rose again to give me a new life. But that no longer hangs over me anymore. And you give me the dignity of choice and so I say yes. Thank you for paying for me. Thank you for having me and wanting me. I give my life to you now. Make it yours, I pray. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. Well, God, you've heard our prayers. You know, Lord, what's in our hearts. So, Lord, I just pray as we sing our one last song and dismiss that we would learn how to develop relationships at the door. Jesus, where you be the thing that unites us. We just want to commit ourselves to you and just say, Lord, now make us those people. Jesus, in your name.